Let's start in Ottawa at a national ceremony where Canada's first Indigenous Governor General, Mary Simon, spoke, saying today is a day to reflect on the impact of the residential school system and the impact it still has on communities right across this country. Too many Indigenous communities suffer intergenerational trauma. To them I say, I see your pain. I believe your stories, and I believe in reconciliation as part of the healing journey. Mary Simon there earlier, the Prime Minister, who stirred up a lot of controversy by skipping last year's events, was in Niagara Falls, where he said the day is a reminder that all Canadians need to open their eyes to the truth of how this country evolved and came to be. The National Truth and Reconciliation Day holds space for every Canadian, Indigenous and non-Indigenous, to grapple with this part of our history, to honour those who lost their lives, and to think about ways each of us can support survivors and be better allies. Lori Idlout has a seat in the House of Commons. She is the NDP MP for Nunavut. She attended a residential school, as did both her parents, and is acutely aware of the impact that that has had on her family and her community. But reconciliation is about more than the past. It's also about providing a better future. And that means pushing the federal government to address, to address chronic needs in the North, such as the need for better housing, clean water, and affordable food, because can you have reconciliation without guaranteeing those basic human needs? Lori Idloud is also the party's Northern Affairs critic, and she joins me now. Thank you for your time tonight. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Ben. As we mark uh, the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation, I know it's uh, you You too are a residential school survivor, as is your, your mom. Um, what does this day mean for you, do you think? How should we be thinking about it? We don't often talk about the North. We perhaps don't frequently enough talk about the North when we talk about reconciliation. Yes, for sure. So I, I only went to a residential school for three months, but it was a very difficult three months. Uh, both my parents uh, definitely had uh, longer experiences. And I feel like uh, having direct experience with uh, the impacts of intergenerational trauma uh, and continuing to see it uh, being passed on to our later generations. Uh, September 30 is very important for me because we need to make sure that uh, we're starting the conversations about how to stop intergenerational trauma because we've been talking about healing uh, for generations now, but we're still needing to move from healing to ensuring that uh, we're passing on um, traditional knowledge, uh, traditional uh, indigenous worldviews, uh, traditional laws. Those are the focus of what we need to start passing on to our uh, children and grandchildren rather than the intergenerational traumas that we're passing on to them now. You've been uh, very active in trying to make sure that that you bring a lot of your past um to Parliament, both through your swearing-in ceremony, through, uh, do you feel like you you've started the process of trying to pass on that that pride and that knowledge, not just to to people in the north, but also to the rest of us? Um, I, I think that that process had already started uh, years ago. I feel very lucky to have amazing role models, uh, and I know of the great work that started. Uh, decades ago by, for example, the 
uh, Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples. So I think what I've been able to do is amplify the great work that has already started. And I feel very privileged to be able to keep that message going forward. Yeah, how far do you think we've come? And how far do you think we have to go? I mean, I know, I know there's, there's, there's been lots, you know, we have a national day now. Um, there's been lots of people talking about things, but it feels like we still have a ways to go as well, specifically when it comes to understanding the full complexities of it, especially with the North, for instance, which again, I don't feel like we talk about very much, or at least not enough. Mm-hmm. We do still have a lot of uh, ways to go. Uh, too many uh, of us that are Indigenous, whether it's Inuit, Métis, or First Nations, we're still facing and experiencing systemic racism on a daily basis. Um, the colonial laws and policies uh, are not history. They are not something that are to be talked about as of in the past tense. Uh, we're still being impacted by them today. So there's still a lot of work to do uh, to ensure that more Canadians un- just understand uh, that they too uh, are victims of this system by them. Uh, and the the way, the reason I say that is because they've been robbed of this history as well. Uh, they've been robbed of not, be, not realizing just the atrocities that we've been forced to experience. So uh, over the last few years, uh, I've received a lot of empathy from everyday Canadians, and I'm at the point where I need to start discussing how to turn that empathy into action. Yeah, that's, a you know, I, you're right. I think maybe the time for apologies continues, but but also it feels like there's a time for, you know, the time for reckoning is, is maybe still there, but also there's a time for action. And what do you think that looks like? Uh, I, I think that uh, it looks like many different things, uh, some of which include uh, implementing the great work that has already been put together, uh, great works by uh, uh, Indigenous-led works uh, through uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, the MMIWG Commission. Uh, there's also been uh, regional um, works like the Kikitani Truth Commission. So there's been a lot of work uh, to make sure that uh, Indigenous histories are being collected. And there's been a lot of discussions by Indigenous people. Indigenous people have done the research. They have uh, collected information. That collection is still necessary. But I feel that uh, what we have been doing our part to make sure that uh, more Canadians understand uh, why our relationship with Canada is so important. Uh, I I think now uh, the ball is in the federal government's court, in the provinces and territories courts, to make sure that we're all doing better to make sure that reconciliation comes from both perspectives. Tell me a bit about justice, because I know you've been active in trying to extradite um, uh, Oblate Priest Johannes Rivoire. Um, and, and there's obviously some, there's justice that needs to be seen, too. How do you feel that that fits in? Uh, that uh, That is just one of the pieces of, I, I guess, what I could call uh, a huge puzzle uh, of reconciliation that needs to happen. 
uh, I have almost daily conversations with one of his victims uh, who who tells me um, her personal stories and how, for example, every every week uh, she hates Sundays because those were the days in her childhood that she was assaulted uh, very badly. And so she still suffers to this day, uh, just every week coming to Sunday. And so um, justice is so necessary and there's not enough that I can ever do. Uh, I'm, I'm still, I'm working hard to make sure that we do uh, uh, hope that she gets a sense of justice that she deserves. Um, I've been working, for example, with a French MP in Paris. Uh, I've also started talking with uh, the Inuit organization, Inuit Kanatami, and we all just really need to make sure that we're all working together uh, to persuade the French government uh, to make sure that uh, justice is done because currently they are protecting this criminal uh, in their country. My guest this half hour is Nunavut MP Lori Idlaut. She is uh, talking to us today on National Truth and Reconciliation Day about uh, about her thoughts about reconciliation, both the need to discuss, the need for justice. She too briefly attended a residential school, but her parents did, her community. She knows the trauma that was suffered in those schools. Uh, One of the issues that you've been touching on a lot recently that I find really interesting is just about water. Obviously, Calweeth, we know, has had a water issue, uh, food security, uh, the Nutrition North program, where food that is sent north but often arrives in conditions that we would not consider to be acceptable. Can you have reconciliation properly if you don't address some of these very basic needs like housing and food and water? The very simple answer to that is no. Uh, Arctic communities, uh, especially the ones that I represent, uh, have been ignored uh, are the investments to ensure our infrastructure uh, has been neglected neglected for too long. Uh, we saw that, as you mentioned, in Iqaluit, uh, where the NDP, through its confidence agreement, was able to get the Liberals to agree uh, to uh, fund provide funds to the city of Iqaluit uh, uh, for $217 million. Um, to improve its water infrastructure. Uh, There are still many communities in Nunavut, like Rankin Inlet, uh, that is uh, struggling to keep keep up with its uh, water uh, needs. Uh, Their water infrastructure is uh, outdated by decades, and they've been trying to flag uh, both to territorial and federal government, their dire need to have their water infrastructure updated. And that's, uh, and I'm sure there are many more. Uh, every community that I've been to since I started campaigning uh, and since I got elected have talked to me about the Nutrition North program. They've talked to me about the high cost of food and just how uh, the program is not working to make sure that uh, nutritious food arrives uh, still edible and uh, affordable for my communities in Nunavut. 
You found, uh, because you looked into this, that not only is the food arriving in conditions that wouldn't be considered acceptable, it's also not being tracked. So we actually don't know um, what kind of food is, we don't know how much bad food is arriving in the North as part of this program, which is meant to provide affordable, nutritious food to communities where food can often be prohibitively expensive. Correct. Uh, it was quite disappointing uh, when I, I've been asking the Minister of Northern Affairs uh, since my election about the Nutrition North program. And the more responses that I get from him, the more obvious it is that the department has no idea what's going on. They're leaving that responsibility to a to uh, for profit corporations that are benefiting from. Uh, uh, from these subsidies that are meant to uh, help communities instead is going to the hands of uh, uh, corporations that are showing uh, uh, major profits uh, all these years. One of the things I found interesting about how you framed it too, is you've talked to this about uh, not just as something about, you know, about sustainability in the communities that you represent, about reconciliation. You've also talked about this as a question of Arctic security, which I think is a topic that many people are talking about today. How do you see that? So if Arctic security is, is to be efficient, uh, it has to invest in the peoples and the environment. So for example, um, if Inuit are to be engaged in the security of their lands, they need to have lived in not uh, overcrowded housing, not in molded housing situation uh, where they uh, don't need to sleep in shifts uh, to decide which family member will sleep on which bed. Uh, they need to be able to uh, know that they can fly in and fly out uh, uh, safely. Uh, all of my 25 communities are fly in and fly out communities. So airports are very important for our communities. And if the conditions of the airports, uh, including the terminals, are not sufficient, then there there would be challenges to ensure that they are secure. So the investments uh, in Arctic security need to include making sure that uh, Inuit and Nunavut uh, have the resources to be engaged in that uh, uh, Arctic security, especially if Canada is going to continue to assert sovereignty over the Arctic, it must make sure that it's investing in the people and the lands that are there. Laurie Idlout, thank you so much for your time tonight. Uh, thank you so much, Ben. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.